I think the main thing to remember is it's all about the relationships. And I know there's that that cliche that you don't smile until Christmas when you're a new teacher, and I don't buy into that at all because I think that the whole beginning part of the year has to be establishing relationships because once kids know that you care about them, they'll be willing to do whatever you want. I mean, I've had kids that I've said, okay, we're going to do something crazy. We're going to like sing in the hall. And they're like, okay, even like that kid that never wants to do anything. Welcome to School Me. I'm Renee Carter with the National Education Association, the leading advocacy group for student success. NEA works tirelessly to ensure that you as educators have what you need to reach, teach, and inspire students every day. Today, we're chatting and learning about tearing down barriers for disadvantaged students. Our guest is Rebecca Gamboa, a 22-year veteran educator and a current fifth grade teacher from Illinois. She's experienced firsthand the transformation of best practices over the years and has become an expert on how to reach and teach and help disadvantaged students. Rebecca, welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. I actually started my career in a very small district in rural Illinois and then moved to a wealthier district in a northern suburb of Chicago. And then for the past 12 years, I've been teaching in Lombard at a Title I school, very diverse, a bilingual population, lots of different cultures all in one spot and love it. Tell us something then about the differences that you encountered. A lot of the challenges that I face now in Lombard are more making sure that students have those basic needs met. When I taught in a previous district that was a a more upper middle class clientele, the issues there were getting homework done and making sure students were studying for tests. And in Lombard, a lot of my challenges are making sure that students ate breakfast that morning so that they can do math. Because if you're sitting there with a stomach that's growling, it doesn't matter how much fun I make adding fractions, your stomach's still growling, and that's what your mind is thinking of. So there are differences, but I would imagine there are also some similarities, no matter where you are, no matter what your, where your students come from. One of the biggest similarities is no matter where I've taught, the parents want their kids to do well. They may not be able to come in to watch a performance at two in the afternoon in my school now because they're working a job that they can't get off from, but they support in other ways, whether it's making sure kids have books or the things they need for a project or advocating for them. Parents are there no matter where you are to support their kids. Your work with disadvantaged students, I'm imagining, perhaps goes beyond the classroom. Tell us a little bit about the the challenges or the work beyond the classroom and beyond learning. We have gone, like most districts have gone, to a lot of technology-based programs. So we have a math program that 
a lot of the students do at home as kind of a preview of what we're going to learn the next day. And because many of our students don't have access to a device at home that will run the program, last year I had a small group of students that would come in early and work on the computers at school. So it meant me getting there maybe 10 minutes before I normally would, but they came in and it actually became kind of a a close-knit little group that they were there to do the math program. But then, you know, you get to know what they're doing outside of school. You get to know about their family, what their little sister's doing. And it it becomes a little community within that. And I even have kids, because I teach fifth grade, so they move on to the middle school and they always say, we'll come back and we'll see you. And they don't always, but that group does come back and they come back together. So... Yeah, it's doing extra things, but it was 10 minutes to develop a relationship that, you know, I I hope in some way helped them when they went to middle school know that there's an adult that they can come back to and, and say, hey, here's how middle school's going. It's going really great. Or here's how middle school's going. And these are the issues that, that I'm having. You mentioned one of the similarities being the parents Mm -hmm. and that no matter who you are as a parent, you want the best for your student, for your child. Are there differences in terms of even working with the parents than in a school district that is perhaps more advantaged? I've had that experience of working in both types of environments. And I think that the struggle comes from parents sometimes not knowing how to show that support because a lot of our parents work two or three jobs. They're working jobs that they can't get off for, you know, to come in and help out with a special project because that means that they're missing out on those hours and that money that that they really need. So what I've done is I've tried to find ways that either they can help at home. So if if we're doing a special project that we need, I have some parents that at the beginning of the year, I'll reach out to and say, hey, I know you can't come in, but could you cut out things at home or could you cut out lamination or put together packets so it's finding those ways that parents can support what's going on in the classroom but maybe not it's that visible part but then the kids see at home oh my my mom was the one that cut out the shamrocks and they they will tell the whole class oh yeah we cut those out and we you know we watched a movie while we were doing it it becomes almost a family event so it's It's a challenge, but you have to kind of be open to thinking of creative ways of doing it. And not just in terms of time, but also many parents from different backgrounds are intimidated by the the teacher, by the education, because they perhaps do not have a good deal of education, if you will. Yes, yes. So we've worked with my team of fifth grade teachers. We've worked really hard to come up with different things that parents can do to support some of those basic skills. We, with the Common Core Math, there are times that I have to study the night before, like what the lesson is going to be. So we know that it's a whole different way of thinking about math. So we try to tap into, okay, parents may not understand the area model of multiplication, but they understand basic multiplication facts. So let's send home some things that they can do at home 
with basic multiplication facts because kids need that anyway. And at parent night, we're very open with the parents and say, if, if we send something home and you can't help, just let us know. Like, we were lucky in my district. We have a 50-minute lunch period. So most of the teachers in my building are willing to give up 20-ish minutes to help out a kid that maybe doesn't get the support they that other kids get at home. Thanks for listening to School Me. And a quick thank you to all the NEA members listening. If you're not yet an NEA member, visit nea.org slash whyjoin to learn about member benefits. So, Rebecca, since we're specifically trying to help young educators, tell us some advice, some maybe some tips that you might have for helping younger educators who are just entering the classroom, how they can work with parents and, and students. I think the main thing to remember is it's all about the relationships. And I know there's that that cliche that you don't smile until Christmas when you're a new teacher, and I don't buy into that at all, because I think that the whole beginning part of the year has to be establishing relationships because once kids know that you care about them, they'll be willing to do whatever you want. I mean, I've had kids that I've said, okay, we're going to do something crazy. We're going to like sing in the hall. And they're like, okay, even like that kid that never wants to do anything, they buy into it once you build those relationships. So I think that that is one of the most critical things you can do, especially with students who are in a, in a Title I school who are living maybe in poverty because they're seeking out those relationships. And it just does amazing work. And it really helps then when things go wrong. If they know you care about them, they know that it's not coming from this, I'm in a position of authority. It's coming from, I care about what you're doing and what you're going to be doing in the future. Would that same advice then carry over to parents? Absolutely. It is building the relationship with the parents. And it starts, I try to start even before school starts. Once I get my class list, I actually send home a letter to the students like welcoming them to our classroom, kind of setting up. We usually do a theme, so letting them know the theme, letting them know how excited I am. Um, We have a classroom website. Hey, go to the website. You can check out some of the things we'll be doing this year. And then I send it home a second letter to the parents, introducing myself, telling about my background, and then inviting them. I send home a volunteer form right with that letter saying, Here are all the ways that you can get involved in our classroom. Do you want to be on our email list? Do you want to help out at parties? Do you want to cut things out at home? So giving them that first, hey, let's build this together. And then I try to make phone calls home before school starts. Just having giving parents the opportunity to say, here are my concerns. It's finding out how you can build those relationships and then just working on it. How important is community involvement in in schools that serve disadvantaged students? It is huge. And that's one of the things that in our school we've actually been working on a lot because that was something that we had 
kind of been lacking in. So we have started, our PE teacher and two of my fifth grade colleagues started a 5K run last year. This year it'll be the second one in May. And that was amazing to see like just families come out on a Saturday and run. We had, we opened it up to the community. We had, I believe over 500 people running through the streets of Lombard. So that was cool. We usually do a fun fair. So that's always a great time. The, the cool thing is that you get the kids who have gone through the school coming back for those events. And then talking to the younger kids about, oh yeah, I remember when we did this. I remember when we did the Red Ribbon Run. And so it builds that community. So that is something that is important. So Rebecca, you mentioned technology earlier and some of the students when they go home, not necessarily having access to the technology, but I would imagine that technology has made a tremendous difference in a positive way in in teaching and helping disadvantaged students. Oh, it has. I remember when I first started teaching, I think my third year, I had a student that their IEP required a computer. And so I had the the computer in the school in my classroom. And that was like, was such a huge deal. Other teachers are like, oh, you have a computer. And now I'm in a classroom that has 12 laptops and we have a Chromebook cart and we have pretty much anything in my district we could want technology wise. I think that for disadvantaged students, what it does is it brings that world that they may not get to experience right into the classroom. We read about a rainforest scientist in a book for reading. And last year, the California Academy of Sciences just happened to send out an email saying, hey, we're having this interview with this rainforest scientist. And it happened to be the scientist that we were reading about. So my class opted and it was totally on their own, but they opted to come in during their lunch hour and watch this live interview that was broadcast on the internet and they got to type in a couple questions and she asked one of them. And I think that for them, it was like, wow, there is this person who we've read about. She's real and she took time to answer our questions. And so even little things like the news, not many people get newspapers delivered anymore. And 10 year olds probably, even if you know they're in a middle class house, aren't listening to the news, we can fire up our laptops and we can go onto a website and there's news articles at their level. And I've seen with the students in my class this year, some of the articles that they're reading are about real world problems that they're facing. Whether it's whether you're talking about immigration or discrimination, like they they read those articles and it suddenly opens up this world of it's not just me worrying about this. There's all of this up uh, these other things. And I don't think that before technology they had that connection. My last question. Mm-hmm. What do you wish you had known your first day in the classroom that you know now? When I think of some of the mistakes I made, I think I could have avoided them had I built relationships with the kids. Because then 
that discipline pro like that kid that just won't listen to you and there's always one your first couple of years of teaching that you're like I just wish I I know if I could just get through to them they would do so much better building that relationship from the beginning and not maybe worrying as much about curricular things or how to teach things because that comes with time and you have a ton of people in your school who will help you with curriculum with any like teaching things you want but you're the only one who can build that relationship with those students Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of School Me. And be sure to download the NEA Today app for NEA's member magazines and the latest education advice, tips, and news.